Good morning, everybody. Oh, thank you. See, I love when Linda yells at me. I feel the love. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. We are in a brand new series called The Great Awakening. Say it with me. The Great Awakening. Shout out to Grant and Lexi, the newlyweds. What's up, guys? Welcome back. Exciting. We're talking through the book of Acts. How many of you have read the book of Acts before? How many book of Acts people? Here at Greenhouse, we love the book of Acts. We dream of being a book of Acts church in the 21st century. We kicked off the series last week. If you missed it, highly encourage you to check it out on our YouTube or our podcast. It's gonna set the foundation for the next several weeks, but I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. We talked about how this world is pretty messed up. Everybody kind of on the same page with that? Yep, it's called uh, life right now. And this world is broken, and, and we are actually longing for changes. We are longing for transformation. We are longing for shifts that only awakening and only revival can solve. We defined awakening. It's a God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And when that happens with a mass of the people or population, you have an awakening. And we sort of dialogued on the fact that here in the book of Acts and throughout modern history, we have seen God do exactly that. It's not some pie in the sky vision with hopes and, and idealistic thoughts. God has done this in Acts. He's done this in modern history. And if he did it before, come on somebody, he could do it again. And that's our prayer. God, in our city and in our context and in our world and in our relationships and in our jobs and with our classmates and with our family workers, Lord, bring revival, bring awakening. Amen. This week, I want to dig a little deeper into the what and how of awakening as we jump in together. So why don't you stand to your feet? Wherever you're joining in the room, if you're watching online, you get a little bit of cardio, stretch the legs a bit. We'll be in Acts 1. We'll start at the beginning and go a little bit further. I don't know what to say about the Miami Dolphins. We beat the Patriots. The evil empire has fallen. We're on the cusp of victory, and we do our thing. We snatch defeat from the clutches of victory and fire our winning coach. Because that's how we roll. Brings us back to the foot of the cross. Thank you, Lord, for sanctification. Let's go to Acts 1 before I get depressed. Here we go. If you're ready, say, let's do this. All right. Acts 1 in my former book. This is Luke writing again. O Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach because he's just getting started. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, after his suffering... He presented himself to them and gave many convictions. This is Jesus post-resurrection. He kind of hung out with the disciples and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Namely, he was hanging out with them, alive. It's pretty convincing. He also ate some meals, apparently. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. He spoke about the kingdom of God. How many of you, if someone died and then they were like back there talking, you probably pay attention, right? Guess what? He still does that, by the way. He still does that, still speaks. Pay attention. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, this is Jesus, he gave them this, what does it say? Suggestion, thought, idea, option. No, what does it say? Okay, this is Jesus. I, I just need to clarify. We're Americans, all right? We don't like commands. We don't live in a theocracy, but this world, it functions like that. Jesus gave this command. What did he say? Don't go anywhere. Don't leave Jerusalem. Remember, he gave them a big vision. You're gonna make disciples from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. And then all of a sudden, right before he goes, he says, but don't leave Jerusalem, but what does it say? Some of you are like, that's like a cuss word for me. Wait, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized or immersed with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, pour your spirit out. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five, an elbow bump. You can kiss him on the cheek or on the lips or in tongues because we're an ax if you're married to him. I'm just saying, you know, it's very biblical. Have you ever misread a situation of who's in charge? You ever been in a spot where you kind of misread a situation of who's in charge? My wife and I have two children. Our oldest, Liam, uh, is a natural-born leader. 
Um, now, there, there is debate back and forth. Is leadership, is it nature or is it nurture? I tend to think it's a little bit of both. You are given a gift by God, and then you nurture that gift over time. But this boy, I mean, this, all the time, he's just leading. He gets out in the neighborhood, kids twice his age. Before you know it, Liam's like, all right, guys, here's what we're doing. Everyone come around. Here's the plan. I'm like, who is this kid? Where did this come from? You know, Nancy's like, where did it come from? You know, but he's just, he's out there, and, 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 it, and it's really cool and cute when it's with his friends, and, uh, but then he'll, he'll just try to exact his leadership um, with, with adults as well, and that gets a little bit more interesting. I remember uh, somebody, well-intentioned, God bless them, they gave us a book called The Boss Baby, and, uh, and it's this idea of like a little baby, you know, who wears like a business suit, and it's really cute, and he's the boss. Well, this is probably cute and anecdotal for lots of other children, but our son took it as a autobiography, he was indeed the boss baby, and he began to make that abundantly clear to us, explicitly and implicitly. I remember one time he was hanging out with, uh, with Nana, my mom. He was hanging out with Nana, and she brought him back home, and she said, uh, we had an interesting interaction today with Liam. Uh, we, we were talking. I was like, Liam, you need to do this. He said, no, 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 Nana. I'm the boss. I was like, oh, Wow. And so I, I went on to explain, well, son, you know, exactly, boss baby, you know, it's a book, but it's not actually true, and that's not how it works. And he's like, yeah, 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 I know, I don't know. I'm like, son, you are not the boss. He's like, but I am. Like, no, you're not. He's like, okay, okay, okay. And so then he would, uh, so I was like, mission accomplished. You know, he got it, um, but, but he's not saved yet. And so apparently he went to Nana, and he was like, Nana, I have to say that you're the boss, but really, I'm the boss. Now, this was all well and good. This is a true story. This is all well and good until he pulled that with my wife. Yeah, she don't play. And he was like, and she, she was saying something. And he was like, yeah, Liam, I need you to do X, Y, Z. And he's like, mom, I'm the boss. And I was like, back up slowly. The Boricua bombshell is about to happen right now. And that will be known as a day that he was almost transported to glory to be with his father, the boss, in heaven. And Liam has not done that since. Praise the Lord. What's the point? I love my boy. But son, you're not the boss, okay? Dad's the boss. I mean, God's the boss. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, we talked last week about how it is clear to anybody with two eyes and a functioning cerebrum that this world is in trouble. We've got issues. There's brokenness. Now, what we do as a people and as a culture prone to action is that we act, we, we, we do, we move, and we put and we throw and we thrust our best efforts and our best intentions and our best actions and our best deeds out there to try to fix things because culturally, we're the boss. Because as Americans, especially, we got this. We can do this. We can make this happen. And the problem is that it's not happening. This world is broken. This world needs transformation. This world needs to be changed. And we're giving it our best shot, but it's not changing. Why? Well, it's some of what we camped on last week. is because we are longing for change and we're longing for transformation and we're longing for answers that only awakening can solve. Only revival can solve. You're like, all right, well, let's go ahead and do that then. Amen. But there's something you must understand. And before we jump into this series, we've got to get to this stopping point right here. And it's my big idea and my core thought for the morning, and then we'll jump into it. Here's what it is. Jesus started an awakening, and we follow his lead. I know it's simple, and a lot of us would say, yeah, 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 I know that. But the ramifications are profound, and it is a fundamentally different life you lead when you live in light of this reality. Je Everybody say it with me. Jesus started an awakening, and we follow his lead. Let's dive into this thing. Three stopping points along the way. Number one, the great awakening is Jesus-centered. Everybody say Jesus-centered. This great awakening is Jesus-centered. Centered. We'll pick it up in verse one. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that who? Jesus began to do and to teach. This great awakening, it's all about Jesus. It's what he teaches, but it's also what he has done and it is what he is doing. This whole thing revolves around Jesus. It's not just self-help and it's not just positive thinking. It's not just you can do it and it's not you've got it all inside of you. It's you don't got it and you can't do it and it's not inside of you. It's in him and I can do all things through 
Come on, Zach, through Christ. It's all about Jesus. He's the hero. He's the CEO. And the gospel, the good news for humanity is all about Jesus. You remember that old school question that maybe you've been asked or we used to ask people, if you, if you died today, do you know where you'd go? You ever heard that question before? Sort of the way of the mouth. If you die, it's not a bad question. If you died today, I mean, listen, we've all felt it in this season. Tomorrow's not guaranteed to anybody. We live in these little paper mache skin suits. They don't last forever. James says that life is a vapor. If you died today, do you know where you go? It's a good question. And we all know that, that if you answer in the, first prop, in the first person, it's already a problem. Well, uh, I'm a good person, so I would, or I help other people, or I, I have enough good things that outweigh my bad. The only acceptable answer for if you died today, where would you go? The only acceptable answer actually comes in the third person. Well, I'd go to heaven because he loved me, because he, Jesus, gave himself for me, because he sacrificed, he took my sins, he paid my debt, he gave me a new nature, he made me a new creation. All of my hope, all of our hope, we talk about it all the time, is in Jesus. We exist at Greenhouse to help ordinary people become passionate followers of Jesus. We wanna read the words of Jesus. We wanna follow the ways of Jesus. We say all of our prayers to Jesus, and we hate, ah, Y'all are paying attention. We hate the devil. I was just waiting for someone to say, Jesus. I'm like, oh my God, I repent. I'm so sorry. We follow Jesus and we hate the devil, but we follow Jesus. And when all of our faith and all of our hope and all of our expectation for awakening rests there, there is potency for transformation. That is the basis of everything that we are hoping for on this earth. It's on earth as it is in heaven, according to the authority of Jesus. Come on, somebody. Verse two, it continues. I wrote, Luke said, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. Now I need to clarify something because if we're not careful, we will contextually blow past a big deal. Namely, when Jesus gave his instructions to the disciples, they did not like them. Some of y'all are like, man, Jesus, I'll do whatever you say as long as it lines up with what I want to do. That sounds good. See, Jesus came to the disciples. We, we have this awkward moment, I, I can only imagine. And, and Jesus is like, hey, guys, here's what's going to happen, and then it's going to happen, and I'm going to die. And Peter's like, no, that's not going to happen. And Jesus literally calls him the devil. He's like, man, get behind me, Satan. Jesus and the disciples who rolled together for multiple years were not always in agreement. Any of you ever had a thought of how things should be done best, and it seemed like Jesus had a different thought? What do you do when you and Jesus disagree on something? This wasn't their plan. The disciples were not excited for him to go. In fact, we hear them in multiple instances saying, no, Jesus, why don't you stick around? Things are so good with you. Why are you gonna go anywhere? The disciples, they wanted him to stay. The disciples, they were like, listen, you, you, this, this is a great publicity. Like everybody saw you die and, and now you raised from the dead. Like let's, let's, do, let's do like a little publicity tour and let's go around and let's show people. The disciples were all ready for things to happen in a very different way. But the awakening already has a CEO and mastermind, and his name is Jesus, and his plans are better. Look at what he said in John 16. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. He says, but now I'm going back to the Father, to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. You say, God will never disappoint me, John. I don't know what God you're talking about. But there's plenty of disappointment in the moment because he's got a better plan in the long run. He says, I see it. I get it. I know it. Sorrow's filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, and this is the heart of God. What I've got planned for you is better. He says, it is, your, it is to your advantage that I go away. Why? For if I do not go away, the helper... Other versions tell us who he's talking about. The Holy Spirit will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. This great awakening, it is Jesus-centered. 
And if we want to see change and transformation and an awakening and a revival, righteousness and justice and his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, it all starts with Jesus. Are we on the same page with that? Amen to that one. It all starts with Jesus. We follow Jesus. We follow his lead. We follow his ways. We follow his playbook. We follow his commands. It starts with Jesus. We're here at Martin Luther King weekend. We're honoring the life and legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. used by God in incredible ways to bring kingdom on earth as it is in heaven and and I've read several autobiographies, several biographies in the life of Martin Luther King Jr., but I came across what he had as his Ten Commandments. He sort of had this running document called the Ten Commandments, and basically for anybody who wanted, this is, this is history right here, anybody who wanted to march with Martin Luther King Jr. in the civil rights movement on a movement of nonviolent resistance, they had to sort of ascribe to and sign off on these Ten Commandments. Now, this is interesting because one of the Ten Commandments that he required from anyone that wanted to march with him in the civil rights movement was that they were required to meditate every single day on the teachings and the ways of Jesus. One of his 10 commandments was, listen, if you're gonna march with us, if you're gonna do the nonviolent resistance thing, every single day, one of the 10 commandments is you have to meditate on the teachings and the ways of Jesus every single morning. Now, this is ironic because in our current moment where we gather around and rightly so to honor and celebrate the life of Martin Luther King Jr. and the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. and pray that God would continue to move us to a place where earth looks more like heaven especially in secular society, we stop with Martin Luther King Jr. Man, what can we learn from him? How can we be more like him? How we can, can we embody that legacy? And the irony is that if Martin Luther King Jr. were still here today, he would say, listen, if you wanna be like me, then you need to try to be like Jesus. Martin Luther King Jr. pointed, his whole nonviolent resistant movement was all about Jesus. The basis of what they did is the basis of what we do. It comes from Jesus. Number one, great awakening is Jesus-centered, which moves us to number two. The great awakening is action-oriented. Everybody say acts, acts, not with an X, with a C-T-S. This is called the book of acts because it is about acts and actions. Are we all clear there? Everybody, all right, Bible scholars, that's, that's what we're doing here. Let me articulate, let me break down what I mean. Let me talk about the difference between an action-oriented philosophy of life versus a theory-oriented philosophy of life. And let me just use, let's say, mm, theoretically, football. Just came, you know, just what, what I sensed in my heart. Maybe it's a spirit. Um, you are a fan right now at the Dolphins game. What are you doing? Besides suffering, obviously. To take that for granted there. Um, you are watching, right? Fans watch. We're on the same page here? Fans watch. You can, you can maybe overhear the players talk if you have really great seats. You can even chat with them or heckle them or yell at them or encourage them. You can critique how they play. You can discuss questions about play calling or field conditions or if you're my wife, the uniform selection and what colors she thought would go better with one another. Which matters, okay, it matters. But ultimately, if you are a fan, you are simply an onlooker. And the nature of your problems are theoretical in nature. Right, you're thinking in an idealized way. You're thinking in the realm of theory. You're not actually having to do any of those things. You're not gonna go down to what was Brian Flores and his who knows and say, hey, I'm thinking you should play this or, or make this play call. You're just thinking out here in the realm of theory. If you're a fan, you watch. Now, what do the players do? Players play. Players go in place. Sorry, scratch that. Jesus, have mercy. <laughs> Sanctify me. The players play. Now, players face issues with theory involved, but they fundamentally approach them differently because their issues and problems become practical in nature. They have problems like, well, which, how should I run this play that's been called, or which way should I go, or how should we score touchdowns? They have problems which call not only for comprehension, but for decisions. They actually have to act. And when we come to this book of Acts, we are talking about a book full of acts and actions where we live out acts on the field that are theorized up in the stands. Let me break it down more tangibly. Fans and players are ultimately looking at the same area but their problems are fundamentally different. Let's take the problem of evil, for example. 
If you're a fan, if you're a spectator, if you're dealing in the realm of theory, you'll begin to come up with theoretical explanations of how a a loving God can allow uh, evil or pain. and, and, And you'll have these ideals and you'll have this philosophy and you'll have this theology and all of that is good and godly. But if you have not that alone, if you're actually a player, if you're one who acts, You're not just thinking about the theory and the philosophy and the theology behind evil. You're actually looking at how can I see Jesus do his thing? How can I see evil conquered? How can I see God work all things for good? How can I find a way? How can I pray a way into God bringing good out of this painful situation? You're not just dealing with theory. You're wanting theory to become practical into action. Are you guys tracking with me? Does that make sense? Here's the point. The book of Acts is not really a book for spectators in the stand. It's a book for players on the field. When you look at the book of Acts, you see commands from Jesus, and Luke's whole point is, hey, you know all that stuff that Jesus did and said? You know all that ministry that Jesus did and all these things that he talked about? Here's what they did with it. That's the book of Acts. That's the lens by which we're supposed to look at the book of Acts, and we're supposed to then look at our lives. Awakening is action-oriented. That's why this matters so significantly, because God's kingdom was never meant to be just talk. All right, Jesus did talk, and he did teach, and he did tell stories, but when God speaks, things happen. There are acts, and the evidence, we hear lots of, well, God told me this, and God said that, and it's like, okay, that's great. The proof is gonna be in the pudding, because when God speaks, things happen. When God said, let there be light, there was, there was light in Genesis. And in the book of Acts, when God spoke from heaven, there were acts. We see it all throughout, and we'll dive into it in this series. There was help, and there was healing, and there was loving. This past Sunday, how many of you were here this past Sunday online or in the room? This past Sunday was, was a really powerful, powerful moment together. And from my unique vantage point, you know, I've got different relationships. And, and so probably at least two, two handfuls worth of very cool supernatural stories of God through his spirit moving through his people to be a blessing to other people. I, I talked to one guy, I connected with him during the service, pre-service and and he had been coming to church for a little while, relatively new. And, and so I was like, hey, man, I, we connected on the phone. And, and I said, hey, come find me after service. And uh, I'd love to connect with you. Let's set up something. Let's grab coffee or lunch. I'd love to hear your story. And so he's like, all right, cool. And then, you know, worship started. And, man, it was powerful. I'm like, man, God is, I sense God's presence. This, it felt potent, you know. And, and you're thinking and you're hoping, you're praying, but you're never really sure. And then, and then the end of the sermon and and God moved, and so I'm up here praying for people, and it was awesome, and, and, and you know, best problem to have. I couldn't find the guy because I'm praying and praying, and, and finally, he comes up to me, and I was like, bro, you waited for me. He's like, well, you kind of told me. I, you know, I didn't want to, like, you know, lie to the pastor. I feel like that would be a bad first impression. Good point. So we start talking. We set up a time. He's like, hey, by the way, um, I had a really cool, like, experience. I was like, please tell me about it. He said, you know, I, I, I was here and you had asked me to wait for you and then like you're just up there praying for all these people and I'm like, oh, great, okay, I'm just gonna wait around. He's like, but it was cool, you know, it was nice, it was, it was cool and, and, uh, and I watched a girl up there, she was getting prayer and then she left out, out of the back doors and, um, and then like a few minutes later, that same girl, and I, I know she left because I watched her leave, she came back to me and she was like, hey, this happened this past Sunday, true story. She's like, hey, I, I hope this isn't like too weird but I felt like God put something on my heart for you, can I, can I share it with you? If, if it's on, like, you know, I hope that's great. And if not, like, you know, don't worry about it. But I just, I feel like God put something on my heart. He's like, bro, this whole past, like, several weeks, I've been wrestling with this thought. I've been chewing on this thought. And, and, and then this past, like, two days ago, this, a close friend of mine told me this very specific thing that I had been wrestling with. And I was like, man, I don't know. If th- I think this is God, but I'm not really sure. He said, the girl walked up to me, doesn't know me from anybody else, and said almost verbatim the exact words that my friend had told me two days ago. It happened. I was like, what do you think? He's like, I think it's God. I was like, I think you're right. Let's meet up. By the way, I don't know who that girl was because he did not, but God bless you. Way to step out in obedience and follow Jesus. That was awesome. Here, here's, what, here's my point. The book of Acts, Awakening, it is action-oriented, meaning if all we do is sing, pour your spirit out, pour your spirit out. That's my audition, all right? Hold that audition tape. 
if that's all we do, and then God's like, okay, we're like, peace, I'm going to lunch. God's like, uh, okay. I guess you didn't mean it. See, as disciples of Jesus, Luke makes a point. This is about all that Jesus said and did, did. There are still acts of the Holy Spirit that he wants done. Bible scholars argue that this is not the best title. It's probably not the acts of the apostles because they're not the heroes. They're very ordinary, trust me. This is the acts of the Holy Spirit and he hasn't stopped acting yet. I just spit on myself, come on. The awakening is God's people responding to the promptings of God's spirit with seemingly small acts of obedience that in his wisdom and sovereignty turn out to be not so small at all. I think of this girl this past Sunday. She received prayer. I don't know what she was praying for, but I'm guessing God answered because all of a sudden she walks out and gets an impression for somebody else. And she probably thought, this is gonna seem crazy. This is gonna seem weird. I'm gonna seem so strange. I don't know this person. They're never gonna come back to church, right? You get all the thoughts, right? It's your insecurities plus the devil, the devil, the enemy of our souls who wants no one to be encouraged. But she pressed in. And she's probably thinking, man, maybe it's like a little encouraging because it was an encouraging thought that she shared and she had no idea that God had been working out that divine appointment for weeks. What's the point? Awakening is action-oriented. Jesus is the originator and director of this great awakening and we follow his lead. It is active, there are acts. It's action-oriented. Say, John, so what are the actions we are supposed to be doing? It's a good question. I asked it myself. We know the first one because Jesus said it explicitly in Acts 1-4. This is what he says. He says, on one occasion, he was eating with them, and he gave them this, again, command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the Holy Spirit, which you've heard me speak about. Point number one, the great awakening is Jesus-centered. Point number two, it is action-oriented. And point number three, and friends, please do not miss this. Holy Spirit, do your work. The great awakening is spirit-empowered. The great awakening is spirit-empowered. Now track with me, because it's so easy to miss this. I make the first point, great awakening is Jesus-centered. Every Christian on the planet is like, uh-huh, amen, preach it, pastor. I'm like, it's action-oriented, 50%. Yes, in theory, I don't know if I want to do anything with that because that could get weird, that could get scary, but okay, in theory. And I get to point number three, and all the Americans in the room put up their theological banners. They're like, well, I, well actually, in the dispensational movement, um, you know, that the premillennial reign actually comes. And, and, and so we start to biblically theorize our way around how Jesus didn't mean what he said. Jesus said, go and make disciples. We like that as Americans. We're like, yes, initiative taken. Come on, BHAG, big, hairy, audacious, go, go into all the world, transform the planet. We're like, yes! Lord have mercy. And then Jesus said the words that no American on the planet wants to hear. Wait. Jesus says, go and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're gonna go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. They're like, yeah, he says that it's gonna be incredible. Yeah, and I'm gonna help you, yeah. But you're not ready yet. You need to wait for what? The Holy Spirit. Later on, he tells them why. He said, it's gonna be the boldness. It's gonna be the equipping. It's gonna be the power, the dunamis, dynamite power in the Greek that you need to accomplish the mission. And I find it absolutely curious and heartbreaking that in almost any other continent I've been at, they don't theorize this, they do this. They're like, well, Jesus told disciples that they had a big mission, but they needed to wait for the Holy Spirit to fill them with power so that they could do the mission. Let's do that. You know the only place that that does not happen in mass? I'm, I'm talking in denominations here in the United States that are like, oh, well, we, and we've got all these different thoughts on the Holy Spirit. Our brothers and sisters around the world are like, God, whatever you have for me, I need it desperately. Is it a coincidence that at this point consistently we have ministries from the Far East, from, from, from the South, from China, from persecuted contexts? Guess where they're coming as missionaries? We're not going there anymore. They're coming here. 
Is it a coincidence that one of the most spiritually anemic places right now in the, in the hemispheres is the United States of America, which is the only place where we have neglected the command of Jesus to wait on the power of the Spirit? He's like, I'm trying, I, I'm te- I'm trying to give you what you need. Jesus says you've got a big mission, but wait for the Spirit. This awakening is Jesus-centered, which means we only experience awakening when we do what he said. And he said, wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for the power. You're like, Pastor John, I love Jesus, but the Holy Spirit, and I get it. We've had, some of us have had bad experiences with Holy Spirit stuff that was actually just weird stuff that people put a Holy Spirit label on. Some of us have had weird experiences with Holy Spirit stuff. I get it. You're like, Pastor John, amen to the Jesus stuff, amen to the Acts stuff, but the Holy Spirit, ah, it's like the awkward uncle at the family reunion, like, ah, God spoke to Zechariah in Zechariah 4. He said to him, listen, I've got great plans, but it's not by might, nor by power, nor by great intellect, nor by incredible theory and theology, although all of those things are important. It's not by might, nor by power, but it is by my spirit. Awakening was always God's dream. It's, it's been his dream from the very beginning. On earth as it is in heaven, oppression snuffed out and bondage is broken and the affliction are helped and the lost are found and the world is turned upside down. And how is this dream accomplished? Jesus said it. It's God's spirit in us to bring his kingdom on earth. Here's my application point. Pray for the Holy Spirit. Pray for the Holy Spirit. Awakening is Jesus focused and it's action oriented, but who dictates those actions? Jesus, right? The CEO. And what did Jesus, the CEO, say? Wait for the Holy Spirit. You need the empowerment. You need the boldness. He already gave his disciples their first action, which is to wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for the, fa- wait for the power. It, it breaks my heart, friends. We keep trying to fight hell in the flesh with our best efforts and our best intellect and our best aggression and our best frustration. And we're trying to fight hell with earth weapons. You don't conquer hell with earth weapons. You conquer hell with heaven. Jesus said, I've given you what you need. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.5, he continues, for John baptized or immersed. I already, I've already just owned it. I'm gonna go a little long. Can I go long? Are you guys okay with that? Like, it's not gonna be like two hours long, but it might be more than like 35 minutes. All right, are we cool? You're kind of stuck here if you leave. I I still love you. It'd just be a little awkward. All right, Acts 1-5, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will be immersed in the Holy Spirit. I hope you see, I'm not talking like theological camps. I'm a Jewish guy who's a pastor at a Christian church, all right? I don't know what theological camp I fit in, but go figure that out. This is just Bible, okay? It's just Bible, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized or immersed with the Holy Spirit. John's baptism was one of repentance. Scripture makes that clear. But then Jesus is telling them they need an immersion in the Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it like this, and and I'm getting ready, Jack, if you want to get ready for this illustration. I'll call you in a second. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, There is nothing I am convinced that so quenches the Spirit as the teaching which identifies the baptism of the Holy Ghost with regeneration. God at all? Well, if you have God at all, I simply ask in the name of God, why are you as you are? This dude did not miss words. If you have God at all, why are you so unlike the apostles? Why are you so unlike the New Testament Christians? Jesus essentially tells his disciples, listen, I've trained you and I've taught you and you've been with me for years now and you've got all the theology and you've got the ideas and you've watched my model and you've watched my ways. Now you need my power. And to get it, you need my spirit. Let me illustrate this. Jack, can you come on up here for me, my friend, with my elements? I'm hoping this helps this stick in our brain. Wild applause for Jack as he comes to the stage. Thank you, my friend. All right. I've got a variety of, uh, of soda options here, and I'm hoping that this illustrates the importance of what I am saying. How many Coke fans do I have in the place? How many of you would like to catch this if I threw it to you? Anybody? Don't no, shake it. All the way in the back. That's what I'm talking about. You got faith. You're going to pray for people at the end of service. All right, I've got this Coke can, and, uh, and if I were to take this Coke can, and if I were to go ahead and see if it can hold my weight, it cannot. It cannot. So we'll try something else. Uh, Mountain Dew for all the teenagers in the room one time or the college students that need this to survive or anybody that wants a jolt of caffeine that might kill you in 17 years. 
Mountain, anybody Mountain Dew still? You're like, I won't raise my hand and admit it, but I go to, I go to Taco Bell because I know they got it. I'm not judging. I'm just saying, taco hell, because you feel it afterwards like fire. Okay, here we go. Can I hold my weight? No, it cannot. Now, I'll tell you, how many of you are LaCroix fans? Any of you? All right. Yeah. We know the people who don't like fun in their life. That's awesome. No, that's so good. It's like, how can I have the least amount of flavor possible? LaCroix, like someone ate a fruit and burped into your water. Welcome to LaCroix. LaCroix, I will let you know, can definitely not hold my weight. I've got a favorite soda. My favorite soda is Jupina. Hey, love me some Jupina. I'm pretty sure it's just straight up sugar. You get your daily week's dosage of sugar all in one convenient can. Jupina. If anyone's looking for a new slogan, I love Jupina, but I'm sorry, it cannot hold my weight either. And then we have Dr. Pepper. The first soda, apparently, or at least the first soda in America. Any Dr. Pepper fans? All three of you and Lisa, awesome. I'm so happy to hear it. Dr. Pepper, can Dr. Pepper hold my weight? Oh, oh, oh. You want me to try the other foot? Oh, oh, pastor's got faith. Ooh. Hey, wild applause for Dr. Pepper. He said, Pastor John, how did that work? Because the Dr. Pepper was sealed and it was full. I pray that I heard that one time, like, ooh, that'll preach. I pray that sticks in your brain. Jesus says, I've given you all the words you need and I've given you all the ways you need and I've given you the model that you need, but wait, why? because you can't just be an empty can and expect to hold the pressure of this world. You need to be sealed and filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave all these, I mean, 40 straight days of post-resurrection Jesus hanging out with the disciples. How many of you that, you, that would build your faith? How many of you would feel ready to go on the mission? How many of you would be like, I'm set and ready. Come on, Jesus, send me out. 40 days of post-resurrection, pre-resurrection Jesus. I'm like, I'm, I'm ready. What else do you need but walking with the son of God incarnate? But then you get 40 days post-resurrection and yet he still said, I'm sure they're pumped, they're amped, they're ready. You're, you're sitting with, you're like, if death can't beat him, what can do it? And in the midst of their empowering moment, he says, but you're not ready yet. You need the Holy Spirit. Why? Because again and again and over and over, God asks humans to do not what they can, but what they cannot. He says, you can't accomplish this mission. Here's the point. These commands, these orders, these acts, they are impossible. Which is why Jesus says, oh, and by the way, you're not gonna be the hero of this story because you can't do this mission. You need my spirit. Heal the sick, raise the dead, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly, share possessions, give up racial prejudice. We'll never do these things. Look at the world around us. Most of those things, we're all unanimously like, yeah, we should do that, and we don't. Why? Because we can't. The problem is that we don't, we don't see the problems. The problem is that we lack the power to act on them without the potency and the promise of the Father. We need the Holy Spirit. Amen. Great awakening. It's spirit-empowered. Here's the warning. Stop trying to do in the natural what only comes in the supernatural. Some of you, you've got, and Zach, I'll ask you to come up and be ready for this. Some of us, some of you have, you have good hearts and you've got good motives and you've got good desires, but you've been doing it without the power. And Jesus says, and will say again, get the power, wait for the power, be filled with the power. I was gonna tell a story. I'm like, I might as well just go ahead and have Zach tell it. I want him to share a story that just illustrates an ordinary person tapping into God's direction and power. Hello. <clears throat> I... Um... I was dropping my kid off at the babysitter's house yesterday. Was it yesterday or the day before yesterday, John? Friday. <clears throat> and um, when I got there, they were having some, some stuff going on, and they needed, they needed support, and they needed prayer, and they know that I know the Lord, so they asked me to pray. So I was like, all right, let's pray. And it was good. But when I got in the car to leave, like, obviously after having a moment like that, I was, 
I was feeling the presence of the Lord, you know? And so I was like, God, whatever you want me to do today, I'll do it. You know, just let me know what you want. And the next thought that went through my head was of this place on the beach at Key Biscayne. <clears throat> and I've, I've spent some time there, but like I haven't thought about it in a while, and it was kind of like a, a random thought. And um, I wasn't even really cognitive of the fact that it popped up right after I asked the Lord or told the Lord I would do whatever he asked, you know. And so after a second of thinking about that place, it dawned on me like, oh, maybe, maybe this is the Lord, you know. And I wasn't like 100% sure, but I wanted to be faithful if it was. So I decided that I was going to drive to that place on the beach. And um, <clears throat> on the way there, probably four times, I almost turned around because I was like, this is... I'm being dramatic. This is kind of crazy, whatever. And then I was like, I'm going to have to, I'm running out of gas. I'm going to have to put gas in my truck in Key Biscayne, which I don't know if you know the gas prices in Key Biscayne are terrible. But, and so anyway, I was, I was like, I found my resolve and I was like, no, Lord, I said, whatever you, whatever you want, I'll do it. And like, even though I'm not hundred percent sure it's you, I'll still go. And so then I started praying differently. It was like, well, what are you sending me here to do? You know? And like, I didn't really get anything definitive right off the bat, but in a minute, like, I kind of felt in my heart, you know, which means to me, like, the thought went through my head, like, in a way that was a little different than normal. Like, I think he's sending me there for believers, not for salvation for somebody, you know? Like, he wasn't telling me to hit the beach to get somebody saved, but rather just to, to have some sort of encounter with people that already believed in him. So I kept driving. People were texting. Well, anyway. So I got there to the beach, and I, I, got in my, uh, I got my phone out, and I was walking up and down the beach listening to worship music and praying and thinking. And when I would see people, I was kind of like, you know, is it them, Lord? I don't know. Like, you know, they don't look very friendly. I, you know, hopefully, if it is them, make them, you know, soften their hearts. But, and, like, I didn't really feel anything particularly for anybody. So I was just like, well, I'm going to keep praying. And so I went down to the spot on the beach, really the spot in my mind that popped up when I was driving, and I sat down. And I was reading the Bible and listening to worship music, and um, nothing happened. And so I was like, well, at least I was obedient. You know, maybe it wasn't you. I'm, I'm good. So I stood up to leave, and when I looked, there was this couple walking up the beach. And as soon as I saw them, I don't know how to explain it, I just knew without a shadow of a doubt that they were believers. I don't know. So, I mean, it wasn't anything crazy. I just, like, I would have bet $10,000 on the spot that they were believers. I don't know. And so I walked up to them, and they were standing by this area where people were taking pictures, and I said, hey, you guys want me to take your picture? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, sweet. So I took their picture. I asked them where they were from. They said they were from Alaska, and they were here for a wedding, and then they told me it was the guy's birthday. And, um, and then I asked them, I was like, you guys know Jesus, don't you? You know, and I asked them like I knew, because I did. I'm like, you guys know Jesus, don't you? And they were like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do. And I was like, well, you know, do you care if I, oh, I, and the next thing that came out of my mouth was something I had heard somebody else say in the past, but it felt like the right thing to say. I was like, I don't know what it was about you, but something about you reminded me of him. And then they were like gushing, like, oh, you can't get a better compliment than that. This guy says there's something about me that reminds him of Jesus. So I was like, do you care if I pray for you for your birthday? I just want to pray a blessing for you. Like nothing weird. I believe in Jesus too. Like it's not going to be. And they were like, yeah. So like I felt. I felt like I was supposed to pray for their marriage and, like, you know, pray for protection and that the Lord would just, like, foil any attack that Satan had planned to separate them or hurt them and pray for the kids and pray for their travels and, like, pray that God would open their ears and unplug them so that they could hear his voice and open their eyes so that they could see the world the way he sees the world. And it was, it was a moment. Like, the Lord showed up on the beach, like, very much, very much so. It was, a, it was like, not debatable. And, um, and afterwards, you could tell that it was, like, very meaningful for them. And then I felt like, okay, I can leave. Like, just like as, as sure as I was that it was them, I was sure that I was done and I could take off and it wouldn't be, like, disobedient, you know. So I don't know. It's just, it happened. That's it. Wild applause. Thank you, Zach, for sharing. And worship team, you guys can get ready. I'm almost done here in a second. Here's why I wanted Zach to share. Here's why, why, why I shared that story earlier. Because often when we hear about the Holy Spirit and you're reading the book of Acts, it is very tempting to think, man, for those super spiritual people who do that stuff, God bless them, I'm just ordinary me. 
I hope you realize the apostles in Acts were very ordinary people. They were fishermen, rabbi, rejects, most of them. Whoever the girl was that I shared in the story and Zach, Zach, I love him. He's one of my best friends. Zach and I both are very ordinary people. Like, I love the way Zach shares a story because I wanted you to hear even, what does it look like to, to be led by the Holy Spirit? and have It looks like that, a lot of guesswork, I think, and what's the worst that could happen, and who cares if I look dumb, I'll go for it. 80% of the time, that's what I'm doing if I'm trying to follow God's spirit. Here's my point. The hero is not the human. The hero is the spirit of God, Jesus's promise that he said he would send, moving and leading us. Why? Not so we look super cool, but so God's kingdom can come on earth as it is in heaven. What is awakening? It's when a whole mass of us decide, God, I want you to move more than I care if I look stupid. So fill me with your spirit, power, and boldness, and then lead me by your spirit, and whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And if we can get there, awakening is possible. And he did it before, and he could do it again. Why don't you bow your heads and just close in prayer here. Lord, my prayer for every single one of us in this room and watching online is that we would say yes to your command. You've given us a mission to make disciples, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth, beginning in our immediate context and extending from that. Lord, but you told us that we're not ready to go. We must wait until we get the power from on high, until we wait for the promise that your Father promised us. Lord, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, and I'm praying that right now, even in our hearts right now, we would acknowledge that we have done enough of life in the natural. We've done enough of life in our own abilities. We've done enough of life in our own power. And we would respond like Zachariah and say, I agree, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. God, I'm praying, I'm longing that this church family that I love would say enough of my own strength and ability, enough of my own intellect. This world is broken. My friends are hurting. I've got depressed coworkers. I've got people that are suicidal. I've got family members that feel like there's no hope and I can't help them. But God, if you can use me, I'm available. Every bit of what you have for me, God, I need it and I want it. God, pour your spirit out. If you want to see revival, if you want to see awakening, if you want to see transformation like our world desperately needs, hear the words of Jesus. You need the Holy Spirit. Be filled. So I'm going to land it like this. Number one, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you need to respond first in what Luke calls here John's baptism. This was a baptism of repentance. Repentance is a a spiritual word. It basically means shifting your mindset, saying, God, my whole life, I've tried to do it in my own strength, my own abilities, my own intellect, my own power. That doesn't work. And I acknowledge that. I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I need your power. I need you to change my mind about a lot of things pertaining to life. I repent. I change my mind. Jesus, you're the hero. You're the CEO. If awakening is Jesus-centered, then I want my life to be Jesus-centered. And if you're already there, then I want to invite you into the experience that Jesus commanded, that he invited his disciples into, which is to be filled with the power of his spirit. The promise that Jesus said would be the power and the boldness and the potency to fulfill the mission. I'll close with one final chapter. If I can get our prayer partners, and you guys can stand to your feet. I'm gonna read one final scripture and then I wanna just give us an opportunity to respond. This is Luke 11. This is Jesus. He said, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? If you need to be filled with or filled again with or refilled with or filled with power and boldness, if you've been lacking the boldness and the power, if you find yourself consistently shrinking back, 
Welcome to humanity without Jesus. You need the Holy Spirit and he is readily available to you this morning. You can request prayer online. You can come forward in the room. Let's sing. This is the official ending. If you need to be dismissed, this is it. Otherwise, let's stay and linger. If you need to respond for repentance or to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we would love to pray with you. You're welcome to come forward to the altar and just kneel. God, pour your spirit out. Let's go. Coming like a flood I don't care what it looks like I'm so in love with you Coming like a fire Coming like a flood I don't care what it looks like I'm so in love, yeah Coming like a fire Coming like a flood I don't care what it looks like I'm so in love, yeah And coming like a fire And coming like a flood I don't care what it looks like I'm so in love All I want is all I one is you of things I, I feel like God wants to do. The first was almost a, I had a, a picture in my head of someone and you you consistently feel nudges to pray for sick people, but you, but you don't, like at the last moment, you don't do it. Like you're, you even go up to them and you're like, hey, how are you doing? And they're like, oh, I'm really sick with this. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's what I had in my head. And then you, ah. And I think God wants to give you boldness because there's, there's a gift there that he's trying to stir and he wants you give, to give you the boldness to use the gift. The second is boldness for evangelism. Like you, you've got the heart, every, like every single evangelism message, people are like trying to get out the door because they hate it. And you're just like, it lights you up. And yet you feel so distant in your actual life from doing the things that are in your heart to do that God wants to give you boldness to be his witness in particular. So if, if God's stirring your heart, you're welcome to come forward. Let me pray a blessing over you. God, bless your people. Keep them, make your face shine upon them, be gracious to them, lift up your countenance upon them and give them your shalom, shalom, perfect peace in Jesus' name. Church, love you. You're welcome to go. Go out in boldness and power. Be his witnesses. Next week, we'll see you for the seven-year anniversary. And if you need prayer or just want to linger, we're going to stay here in this space for a little bit. Love you, church. If you need a miracle in your life, we'd love to pray with you. We've watched God do things even this month. And we'd love to pray with you and watch him do it again. Love you, church.